from the newsroom of The Washington Post. Washington Post, this is Colby. Yeah, yeah. Hello, Washington Post. I'm the Washington Post. Hi, it's Stephanie McCrumman from The Washington Post. This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Thursday, July 4th, Independence Day. Today, how a trade war could blow up America's fireworks supply. And if you want to eat sour cherry pie, you've got to pick some sour cherries. So let's start with who are you and what do you do? I'm Taylor Telford, and I am on the general assignment business team, so covering all manner of breaking business news and then occasional business features. And why did you want to write about fireworks? I wanted to write about fireworks because they're very uniquely situated in this trade war. Taylor has been covering President Trump's trade war with China and the effects that it's had on the U.S. economy, specifically one sector of the economy that is central to the 4th of July. A lot of the industries that have been hit hard maybe have other options for sourcing or moving their businesses. But fireworks, unlike pretty much anything else, is totally reliant on China. About 99% of consumer fireworks, so the kinds of things that you would use in you know, a backyard, like barbecue, a celebration on the 4th of July, like sparklers, about 99% of that stuff comes from China, and there is no other place that fireworks companies can get it. Which is pretty ironic, considering that nothing is more like emblematic of the American soul than fireworks. And how did it end up that all the fireworks that we get in the U.S. are from China? So, yeah, the U.S. used to produce lots of its own fireworks. Italian immigrants coming over in the early 1800s brought the trade with them when they emigrated here. And so for a long time, fireworks production in the U.S. was mostly the province of small family businesses. But in the 1970s, there was just a huge regulatory crackdown that pretty much made it impossible to produce fireworks in the U.S. under those regulations. And fireworks originate in China. They've been making them there for thousands of years, and they have the infrastructure and the manufacturing that's necessary to produce it for the rest of the world. So people just started buying all their fireworks from China? Essentially, yeah. Basically, over the last four decades, all of the buying has skewed heavily from China. And why haven't any other countries gotten in on this manufacturing industry? Well, there are a couple other countries that do it. Vietnam produces a handful of fireworks that are sold. Spain does a little bit of it. But they're really technically challenging to produce. Obviously, the safety questions are quite formidable, as are the shipping problems. It takes a really, really long time to get fireworks overseas from China to the U.S., Breaking news overnight. New explosions and new concerns at the scene of this week's warehouse catastrophe in China. China has also experienced its own regulatory crackdown. The blast at a warehouse full of shipping containers created a mushroom cloud and was fueled by a toxic brew of chemicals. On Saturday, a row of They had a couple of safety incidents that made them decide that they wanted to step up their safety regulations, which, great, it's good that things are safer. Obviously, that's what we all want. However, what that means is that now there's actually only one port that's licensed to ship fireworks. So all... One port in all of China? That's where all of the fireworks in America come from? Yep, one port. 
And so all of the fireworks have to pass through this one port, and it takes a really long time to get here. And there are lots of restrictions on, you know, the ways in which you have to ship it to make sure that it doesn't detonate while it's crossing the ocean. (laughs) Basically, all of the infrastructure for creating fireworks exists in China in a way that it doesn't anywhere else. So even if, say, fireworks companies in the U.S., wanted to try and get fireworks from somewhere else. The American Pyrotechnics Association estimates that it would take about 10 to 15 years for another country to develop the kind of infrastructure necessary to meet those demands. Thank you. Thank you very much. We had a great meeting, and we will be continuing to negotiate. At the G20 summit in Japan, President Trump announced that he's backing off his plans to impose more tariffs on China, for now. And I promised that uh, for at least the time being, we're not going to be lifting tariffs on China. We won't be adding an additional, uh, you know, tremendous amount of, uh, we have, I guess, $350 billion left, uh, which could be taxed or could be tariffed. And we're not doing that. We're, uh, We're going to work with... China on where we left off. So it would depend on what actually happens if these tariffs do go through, if we don't reach a deal. But for the average small business, the average small family fireworks company, probably brings in about 10 to 12 shipping containers of consumer fireworks. And generally, they're going to pay somewhere around, give or take, $1,000 in tax on each of those containers. And retailers that are dealing with display fireworks, which are the far bigger shells that are used in the kind of displays that happen at Disney World every night, uh, they would be looking at even more extreme taxes. Pretty much every industry is impacted somehow by the trade war with China, and a lot of industries are scrambling to rearrange supply chains, to change their manufacturing strategies, to change their markets. Uh, And so it's quite likely that if these tariffs go through, it would be devastating to the entire industry. And so what the folks here in the U.S. and the fireworks industry are worried about is what's going to happen next year. Correct. So because it takes so, so long to get all of the fireworks overseas from China, uh, fireworks retailers place their orders starting in December for the next 4th of July. So most of the fireworks that are used in 4th of July displays arrive in the U.S. no later than maybe mid or late May, because otherwise the chances of it getting there on time, if you place your order any later or if you try and get it shipped any later, it's just not going to get here. So this year's 4th of July should be bright and sparkly. But if these tariffs were to go into effect, it would probably mean that there would be a drastic decrease in the amount of large-scale fireworks displays and in what the average family could afford to get for their backyard barbecue. Well, that drastic decrease in fireworks displays that could happen next year, would that be because they're just more expensive? And so, you know, towns that are trying to pay for a big fireworks display that they wouldn't have enough money to buy as many fireworks? Or would there actually be a shortage of fireworks available in the U.S.? It's likely that it could be both. Retailers would probably not be able to afford to bring over the amounts of product that they're accustomed to getting. But also, yes, the average small town in New Hampshire probably would not be able to absorb the costs that would be added from a 25 percent tariffs on fireworks. So the average show costs millions to put on, especially if you're looking at fireworks displays in like big cities. So, for example, 
a huge fireworks display is Thunder Over Louisville, which is in Louisville, Kentucky. It's part of the Kentucky Derby's Festival. And they pump about a million dollars into putting the display on, but it generates $56 million for the local economy. So not only would the amount of pomp that an average town could deliver for its firework display go down, but it would also trickle out and it would affect lots of local economies. And actually, fireworks are a huge source of revenue for schools, for churches, for various nonprofits. A lot of these kinds of groups kind of turn into fireworks retailers temporarily over the summer, usually right around the month leading up to 4th of July. And they use that to fund like band boosters and school trips and dances and all that kind of stuff. So they would suffer just as much as the average small town would. What do you think that this controversy over potential tariffs on fireworks says about the trade war? I think it's a really good example of how wide the effect can be of the tariffs and how it can trickle down and affect not only the industry and the people who are selling that particular product, but how it can ripple out. And it also shows just how difficult it can be regardless of your industry. Obviously, fireworks are an extreme example. Most industries do not rely only on one country that can support 100% of their supplies. However, I think it's a good example of how hard companies have to work and have to dance to try and find ways to maneuver around these tariffs and survive them. Obviously, not all industries are as particularly vulnerable to the trade war as the fireworks industry is. But the questions that the fireworks industry is facing right now about can our businesses afford to absorb any or all of these costs? What do we have to pass on to the consumer? Where else could we potentially get these supplies from? These are questions that all companies right now are facing because of the trade war. And it gets more complicated depending on what industry you're in. Taylor, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Taylor Telford is a business reporter for The Post. And before we go, one more thing. I can't hear you. I can't hear you at all. Lena Sun writes about health policy for The Post. She comes on the podcast to talk about stuff like the anti-vax movement. Earlier this summer, we had Lena in the studio doing a sound check before an interview. Okay, I can hear you now. And she'd just come back from doing something that she does every year around this time. I actually didn't have lunch today because I was in the cherry orchard picking sour cherries. We were picking until 12, 15. I'm like... I have to go downtown. I have an interview. I'm so sorry. We're complicating your life. And you're also the only person I know who's like, sour cherries are like a thing. Like, it's a thing. It must, it ha- must happen today. It has to, like, this is a thing that you schedule. Is, you between. know why? Because it's a very short season. Yeah. And the weather. Mm-hmm. And also because I can't go on the weekend. <laughs> and I did not tell my editor. I said, I have very important things to do outside the office. Oh, my gosh. Do not text me or email me. Oh, my gosh. So is the sound good now? This is something that Lena's known for around the newsroom, her obsession with sour cherries, because they're only in season for a few weeks every year. And to have enough cherries for the amazing pies that she bakes throughout the year, she has to be ruthless in stockpiling them. She keeps an extra freezer in her garage that she uses exclusively to hold bags and bags of sour cherries. So we asked Lena to show us exactly how much effort goes into picking her prized sour cherries. We're about to start our cherry picking on a Sunday morning 
and it's sunny and just a little bit breezy and all you hear in the cherry orchard are the birds. The trick is to get the ones that are the most red that come off the stem easily. That's when you know that they're really ripe. And you have to also taste one. Make sure it tastes pretty good. Yep. Delicious. So I'm gonna have to move this ladder to see if I can get inside and then climb up. Here we go. Oh yeah, I see some good ones here. Okay, ouch. Oops. And also a lot of branches so that it's a little, by the time you finish picking, sometimes you're a little bit bruised. Okay, let's see if we can get these guys. Yeah! Now, of course, now I'm stuck on a thorn on a branch. Okay, oh, but great. Look at these. I got all of the best ones. Oh, just have to reach and pluck, and they taste so good. So we've been at the farm for about three hours, and we have a wheelbarrow full of cherries, which we are now wheeling back down the gravel path to check out. And I'd say we have about, oh, maybe 40, 40 pounds. Uh, it's pretty heavy. Picked about over 39 pounds and it came to $117.30. Okay, we're all paid up and loaded the cherries in the car. Time to go home and take a shower before pitting. Oh, what a great day. Lena's son is our newsroom's resident sour cherry pie baker and a health reporter for The Post. Go to postreports.com to check out photos from her sour cherry picking excursions, to see her beautiful sour cherry pies, and to read her reporting on the health and wellness benefits of sour cherries. That's it for today's show. Thanks for listening. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. This episode is sponsored by the Aquarius Project podcast from the Adler Planetarium. When a meteor crashed in a Great Lake... These Chicago teenagers... Is this actually going to, like, go somewhere? ...joined forces with scientists... They specialize in asteroids. ...to find a way to hunt for space rocks... The so-called small bodies of the solar system... ...200 feet underwater. It's not impossible. It's There's not a 0% chance. From the Adler Planetarium, the Aquarius Project podcast. Subscribe now, wherever you listen.